Hello, and welcome to episode 129 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Friday, November 24th, 2023. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Great. I think we've spent the last five Black Fridays doing this. I know. It's so funny. I was thinking of that. It feels like it would, because it's not, I guess it is always the same Thursday, but not the same day. I don't know. It feels like we would have some of our Fridays off. It always works out this yeah. way. And it's kind of great because this is exactly what we want to be doing on well, this is Black Friday. <laughs> yes, not shopping, which some people love to do, but I'm, I'm not. I don't like shopping. crowds. No, I might do a little bit of online. Mm-hmm business because there were a lot of emails from various yarn stores in my mailbox some of them were very tempting not that i need yarn but it was it was some exciting exciting things and we'll talk about all the exciting things in on the needles on the easel on the table on the nightstand and all wrapped up our little gifty segment that we like to do which, I don't know, I found some good stuff this year, I think. Me too. I am excited. excited to share some of the things that I unearthed. And so even though for you guys, it's only been two weeks since you've heard from us, it has been three weeks, oh, longer than that, three and a half, mm-hmm. since Courtney and I have chatted. So we have a lot to talk about. So let's get going. Without further ado. On the Needles... Ah, I got to pull my Rome shawl back out. This I've been working on it since the summer. And I actually took it with me on my travels. Did not work on it at all there, as I had other things I was working on. But then I got back home and finished some things that I had been working on on my travels. It's just such a great in-between project because it's the same thing over and over. I know exactly what it is, and it's going to take me forever to finish. Although I am at least halfway through because I finally finished the first skein of yarn. So I'm very excited. So this is a pattern by Don Barker that uses assigned pooling. My yarn is from Rainbow Peak Yarns in the Luminosity 2 colorway, which was an exclusive colorway for Lulafay fiber in Boulder, Colorado that I got on my summer travels. And assigned pooling is the one where it's a two color skein and you knit, knit, knit usually, or I guess you're doing stockinette for the main color. And then every time you hit a blip of color, you do something in particular. In this case, you're making rows of baubles. You get some texture when you when color happens. So it's a sort of a way of fancying up a basic shawl. So I'm enjoying it. I'm still just knitting along. Did we see a sample of this at Stitches? Yes. There were a whole bunch of her patterns there. And yeah. the sweater one with the little... Yes. <gasps> Same thing. Yep. I'm very excited now. <laughs> now At you know first, what I'm talking about. I thought about. you were talking about like Rome, R-O-M-E, and I was excited, and then it wasn't that. And then now I remember that series, and it was so fun. Yeah, she has a whole bunch of them, and she keeps coming out with new ones. She has one that's just a single skein shawl. She has several that are two or three skeins. She has the sweater, probably hats. I mean, realistically, you could just, as long as you had that kind of yarn that works with this kind of pattern, you could sort of throw it onto any pattern yeah, that so you want. so clever. But very fun. And yeah, it just makes it a little more interesting without being mentally taxing or something that you have to read a pattern for. Once you get the rhythm down, then it's, it's just really easy and fun. So I'm still working on that one. The 
pigskin party is doing, you can get points for works in progress until the middle of January, which usually you can't. All the projects that you want to get points for have to be done during the knit along. But she's given us two months to finish works in progress. You get a set amount of points, no bonus points or anything, but it's fine. I mean, so I'm not pushing myself with that one if I get it finished. I have a lot of other things I'm working on, as you'll hear, and things coming up that I want in it. So if it gets done, it gets done. Um, There's always the splash pad party, which works in progress are acceptable for in June. So I can always hold on to it for that one. But I'm enjoying that. I'm glad to have gotten a little more work done on that. I did finish my Vanilla is the New Black Socks by Anna Fletcher in the Nitpicks Felici Beyond the Wall, which is the the gray and aqua striped pair. Yeah, I took those on the trip and still had to bring them home and finish them, but I got them mostly done. I think I just had the toe by the time I got home. So just took an evening, finished those up. Very exciting. And that meant that I got to pull out my Christmas is the new black socks. <laughs> Same pattern, but using Christmas yarn. And I had started it last year. I don't think I ever talked about it on the podcast. I think I started and stopped working on them during our little break that we always take Mm -hmm. because I could not find it in the show notes. I was trying to cut and paste into this week's, but I couldn't find it. So I think I must have just not talked about it. So the yarn is from Lollipop Yarn. She is known for her self-striping and she pre-winds them for you into a giant yarn ball. And every stripe of color, she changes the direction. So you can see all the colors when the yarn is wound up and it arrives at your home and it's beautiful. So this one is called We Need a Little Christmas and I bought it in 2016. So I'd had it sitting around for a while. So last year I pulled it out. I don't know why I thought I would get Christmas socks done during December, although here I am again trying to do it (laughs) because I got to January and thought I can't work on Christmas socks in January. What's the point of that? Well, you, you go all in for Halloween, which is you know, one day you you did something true. for Halloween and you brought out the little stitch markers yeah. for that. So it's you're just embracing the season. Yeah. No, I don't know when else I would be working on Christmas socks, but I have so many other things that I work on in December. So I don't, I guess I just wanted to be working on them and I figured I'd start them eventually. So the stripes are, there's a Christmas red, there's a Christmas green, and then there's some gray and white stripes in between. And it came with a mini skein of the same Christmas red. Uh, So I am doing the cuffs and toes in that red is my plan. Not the heels because it's, I'm using the vanilla is the new black pattern again. And that one, the heel won't really work the way it's, the expansion is set up. It won't work with changing colors. I mean, I guess you could do it, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't just be a heel. It would be the whole, whole part of the sock. So that one's kind of my in-between. I got some of that done yesterday while we were driving down to my aunt's house for the holiday dinner. So that was good. I'm really not very far. I'm almost at the heel turn for the first sock. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, it might it might be a multi-year project for these <laughs> for one pair of socks, or maybe I'll get close enough that I decide. Okay, I it's I know it's January, but I need to finish these so then they'll be ready and waiting for me next year, and I'll be happy. And I have some other Christmas socks floating around, so it's not like my feet will be unseasonal, <laughs> which is good. And somebody posted a thing, and I'm sorry, I forget who it was. They have ring binder clips, and she. I guess changes out her stitch markers 
seasonally. So she went through, she pulled out her Christmas and winter ones, threw them on the ring binder, and then she knows where to find them. And I guess she does it, you know, she has fall ones and that's all a the great idea. Isn't that a great idea? I don't think I have enough winter ones to do that with, which I mean, that clearly just need, means I need more winter <laughs> stitch markers. So I have all the appropriate thematic. What a great people. gift idea. Yeah. I also have some new projects. I finally cast on a new sweater. I know you've been waiting to hear what I decided because I had several options last time. And I decided to go with Ilha by Orlane Sucha. And I, I think it's a Portuguese name. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. The yarn is from Sugar Plum Circus in her Scorpio colorway, which was a special November colorway. It is a beautiful dark purple and I'm going to apologize in advance I will never be able to photograph it appropriately I'm pretty sure because it is just so dark and those are really hard to do so the pattern is named after the art of basket weaving from the Portuguese village of Ilha it's so beautiful isn't it that's why I really wanted to do it I know a couple of other knitters slash podcasters who have worked on it and I don't know who originally brought it to my attention but Multiple people have mentioned it recently, and that was how it came to my attention. It's got a yoke neck with lace, a little bit of lace, but a bunch of cables, so it looks like the basket weaving. And then the rest of the sweater is mostly just stockinette, but there are cables up both sides to give it a little bit of shape. And then the bottom is a really thick hem and i forget if there's cables on that or if it's just ribbing it's like a basket weave ribbing. yeah it could be maybe like a broken rib mm-hmm. i can't remember offhand i will i will find out when i get there i have split for the sleeve so the yoke is all done so it's really nice i'll see because the stockinette is broken up every half the sweater because you have to do the little underarm cabling super simple pattern very easy to remember my only problem that I'm having is the purple is so dark that if I try and work on it at night, my eyes are too tired and old. <laughs> I can't see the cabling, even with the light. Like, maybe if I took my contacts out, I haven't tried. It's problematic. So mostly it's a daytime project, which is not when I have the most time for a lot of fairly mindless knitting. So we'll have to work on that. But I am maybe a third of the way through the body not counting the hem, which is a good chunky hem. So I'm pretty excited. It's a little bit cropped in the original pattern, but one of my concerns was that I had a lot more yarn than was called for, which now I'm like, great, I can make it as long as I want because I have all this extra yarn. So pretty excited about that. It's, uh, did I say it was a really amazing, beautiful purple? I'm very excited about this. So I wanna keep working on that. And then I have a finished project, my Explicate Hat by Hunter Hammerson. The yarn is from Hugh Loco in the Merino Sock, and the colorway is Blue Laced Red Winnendot, which is a kind of rooster. Uh-huh. She has a backyard chicken collection. Some of them are hens, some of them are roosters. So it came with a speckly main color. It's kind of white with brownish reds and some blues in it and then two mini skeins of a blue and that brownish red reddish brown really i was going to make socks with them because it's sock yarn and then i've been wanting to make this hat i wanted to make something by hunter hammerson for a while i'm in her patreon group so i get all her patterns as they come out 
and I love them, and I generally don't make them. <laughs> and as I said, I'm making something. I'm happy to support her. I love getting the patterns, but I also, you know, feel like I should be doing something with this money I'm spending. So this hat, it's a super basic knit hat, but then she does embroidery on it. It's so beautiful. I thought it was going to be hugely complicated. She has 27 pages of instructions. They're not all for the embroidery, but mostly they are. Some of them are for the braiding at the top. And then I was a little worried that my, my contrast colors wouldn't show up. I don't know. I've, I've posted a picture on Instagram. I'm pretty thrilled with how it turned out. I was really excited. So you end up doing, you can do as many panels as you want. I did two panels, one on opposite sides, and they each have three columns of embroidery. And then you take all your embroidery yarn, pull it out the top of the hat and do a braid. And so she gives you instructions for doing a six strand braid. So I had two rows, two threads of yarn, two pieces of yarn in each of my strands. So it's, that was pretty fun too. So I learned lots of new things. It's beautiful. It was much more enjoyable than I expected it to be and easier. Like her instructions are super clear. She has pictures and words. It was super fun. I love the embroidery. Right? She has a couple yeah. of, she has a lot of embroidery hat projects. And then she did uh, an extra, extra pattern insert. She gives you instructions for doing two color embroidery. And then in the original pattern, and then the extras she gives you, I think, for like four and six and I don't know, multiple more. Sounds like a lot. But yeah, really beautiful. I mean, you could do it on a cowl. You could and do you, it on whatever. you did that with sock? I did it with sock yarn, which she doesn't actually recommend. Hmm. She has the pattern for like sport through worsted, maybe, Erin, just because I think doing the embroidery with something that thick would be a little little tricky. But it worked out okay. I mean, I, I think it's fine because I'm, I'm not generally going to wear a worsted weight hat. Sometimes. I could have used one in Boston. It oh, was so cold. Well, yeah. I love this pattern. I'm obsessed all of a sudden, instantly. Mm, not surprising. And that's, that's where I am. I've got December 1st is starting. I've got a no mystery knit along coming up. I'm still trying to figure out a pattern for my Advent knit along yarn that arrived, uh, which I'm very excited about. I have a, I have a big box of wrapped up <gasps> mini skeins sitting by my chair waiting i've got to i got to figure out i think i've narrowed it down to a pattern but we will see we will see people that's why i want to make a lot of progress on the sweater because i've got this other giant project staring at me that i want to start very exciting but i also really want to wear my sweater so that's all the knitting over on the easel we are not rushing into december yet because it's still guashvember that's right we still have another week of guashvember it's going so great I am very glad that I did a little advanced painting for when I was on my trip. I have missed a couple days, but I think I'm on track for like my personal greatest participation in Guashvember thus far. We've been doing like a sticker giveaway at the end of each week with the cutest stickers. I'm, I'm so glad that that's working out. The group is small but mighty. It is such a hard time of year. I, I kind of wish that Guashvember was like April when there's not as much going on. But all told, it's still going strong and we're not going to rush it because we've got a little ways to go. Even though Thanksgiving was early this year, I'm going to settle back in and finish strong on Guashvember. The other thing that's been going really strong are 
the florals that I'm doing for the 2024 calendar. I thought I would take a minute too to talk about, I know I've been hinting around about the process for painting florals. As I was painting this week, I was thinking that I definitely have a process now. I'm not saying that I'm an expert floral painter, but I think I have a recipe for how to attack the flowers. And where I was getting caught up before was I was painting and drawing every single leaf, every single detail, and kind of too close. And now I am I'm trying to squint a little bit at it. And now when I'm going in, I'm drawing the basic shapes of the highlight flowers. And then those dark shapes that sort of push into the bouquet, which are generally leafy. And it's usually underneath the main flowers and it goes all the way back. I'm really pushing the darkest colors there so that it recedes to the back of the painting. And that is helping make the highlights pop. So it's It's been me playing with the volume a little bit on all of these flowers. And I noticed that when I was initially painting them, everything was kind of pale and pretty. And now they're a little more loud and raucous and colorful. And I love seeing that progression in my own work. I don't love having them all in the same calendar. It feels a little cringy, like, ooh, that's my early work. And I'm not sure if I'm going to intersperse or if I'm going to go chronologically. I don't know that other people need to see that progression necessarily. We shall see. That's still to be decided. But I think it has been very interesting to learn that there's an, there's an approach that works for me. And then each flower, I'm always still surprised at, oh my gosh, that's, I have achieved how to paint that weird flower in a way th- that I like. It's taken me, I don't know, 13 years to figure out <laughs> flowers, which seems so simple and organic. They should be the easiest thing. I mean, that's as long as you've been working on that sweater. Yes, that's true. And And I still haven't finished the sweater. But I'm also very happy to report that I have used so much paint in the past couple months that I have to do a big paint reorder just in time for Black Friday. Oh, no. And it made me look at my full inventory of paint, which is always fun. But it also feels like progress because I'm... I know that I'm using my materials and getting really good results, and that is such a great feeling. I definitely wax and wane on my volume of painting, and right now things are loud and great and just really fulfilling, and I hope that comes across when I'm talking about my process and showing the work and all of the gouache vember stuff. We have a gouache vember account this year and my work and Daria's work lives there. And then in the stories, we are promoting all of the great participants who are painting along with us. And then I will probably do a final flip through of my gouache vember sketchbook at the end of the month so that people can see the craziness that I bring upon myself at the busiest time of year. And then as soon as... Because nobody else does that. Nobody else does that. 
as soon as I wrap up gouache vember, then I'm going to paint the envelopes for the calendars because I hand paint all 200 envelopes to go off into the mail. It's just regular design gouache. This, this is like another crazy thing that I do during the busiest time of year, but I absolutely love it. Last year, I painted 200 great blue herons on the front of the envelope whilst watching Outlander on my iPad because you memorize the you memorize the bird as you're painting it. This year, I think I think it must be a flower that I'm going to paint and I'm thinking like a one of those weird speckled poinsettia poinsettia varieties mm. like the pink the pink and white ones or maybe a candy cane camellia something like that on the envelope. So, stay tuned. I can't wait. Some of you receive these, some of you order the extra ones, and so you'll be able to see with your hands and eyes. And you'll do a a sale again. I think so. I usually have a few available for sale. Once I'm certain of quantity, those will go up on my website, which is CourtneySpillane.com. On the table... I managed to make a couple of things despite my travel and, you know, life getting busier. The kid is doing soccer now, and so he's getting home later, and it's just, it's been a whole, you know, you all know how it is. I made, I made cookies. It was a little preview of Snacking Bakes from Yossi Arefi. I have her Snacking Cakes book, which came out a few years ago, and which I adore. And so this is Snacking Bakes, which I guess has non-cake things i don't know i think we have just made an executive decision that that will be our next review uh yeah yeah okay so in the new year we'll be talking about all the deliciousness that isn't for now monster cookies i feel like we've done a lot of um vegetarian vegetarian cookbook (laughs) so we can switch gears and do a little yeah and then then we'll be prepared for the next cookie baking season correct yeah and other things so these are called monster cookies and they are naturally gluten-free which i was very excited about and they are basically a peanut butter cookie peanut butter oatmeal cookie which delicious and then i think the idea behind it is to use up leftover halloween candy if such a thing exists so it includes chocolate chips and then whatever else you want like m&ms or mini peanut butter kips additional flavored chips super easy that is the whole thing with her snacking bakes and cakes is that they're very easy very fast to make it made i think 24 which is kind of a perfect amount of cookie especially there's only three people in my household now so these were really good i enjoyed the only thing and they usually have this with peanut butter cookies or at least the gluten-free ones you have to use the or i guess you don't have to but it will definitely work better if you use conventional peanut butter so something like jiff and not what I usually have in my house, which is the natural just peanuts, peanut butter. The Costco Kirkland brand one has a great conventional consistency with, I think, a little less oil and less sugar. Oh, okay. So Excellent. it's a good alternative oh, okay. to if I'll keep that in mind. if that good to know works for you. Yeah. So those were really nice, and that recipe is available online. The link will be in the show notes along with everything else or at least everything else that we could find. The next thing I made was crispy honey balsamic glazed Brussels sprouts from Carolyn Chambers. She was part of an 
online, I don't know what you call it when you get a bunch of cookbook authors online and they're all answering questions. And it's like a live that sounds great (laughs) it was delightful and so it was i she was one of them on there i got to it because ali slagle and jenny rosenstark were doing it and so they you know people just texted in wrote in linkedin like thanksgiving questions and they answered so this was one of her what was an additional brussels sprout that i could make and so I made it. It's really tasty. You roast the Brussels sprouts as you would normally, but then you make a honey balsamic glaze on the stovetop and dump it over the top when everything is done. Oh my gosh. So nice. Super easy. I think it would be tricky for Thanksgiving because it is, I mean, I guess you could pre-roast the sprouts and the glaze. I don't know that you would want to combine them in advance. But you could put it in a little pitcher or something and let people drizzle it on there. You could. I think I think you would want to maybe combine them right before you. Mm-hmm. But that was that was really tasty and the family enjoyed it very much. I think my kid even did like complimented it on his own, which doesn't always happen with, you know, Brussels sprouts. We do like them, but they're not maybe not generally not compliment worthy. So that was exciting. For my Thanksgiving contributions, I did a couple of things. We had like 30 people at my aunt's house and and a lot of the grandkids, like my kids are the grandkids at this point in time. And they're the younger ones. So we have actual grown up grandchildren that are living on their own and bring dishes. So like nobody has to do very much. And yet I still do because I love cooking, right? So you want to bring all the things. So I brought a cocktail. I bought glass bottles that hold about four cups of cocktail, which is a delightful amount. And I made a paper plane, which I know you've talked about before. It was delicious. It was, I had had to warn people, it's very strong, very strong. It was, it's really nice for a fall drink because it's a bourbon based drink, but then it's got Aperol. So it's a little bright and lemon juice and Amaro and they're equal parts. I felt like it needed maybe a little something. Maybe it just needed to be colder because it did warm up a little bit on the way. But very delicious. People claim they liked it. I think some people liked it more than others. <laughs> My brother-in-law poured himself and like hadn't heard the part where I said it's really strong. Just give yourself a little bit. Poured himself basically a mug of it. <laughs> and then was like, wow, what did you do to me? So that was amusing. Luckily, somebody else had made punch that was super fruity and delicious and it actually was very nice mixed together i will say so that was really fun dilution is the solution Uh, yeah definitely (laughs) but it was good it was good on its own but very strong not everyone is into that strong of a cocktail just needed a little but then i also brought a wild rice and a mushroom pilaf as you may have heard my husband is gluten-free i figured the stuffing was not going to be or the dressing was not going to be gluten-free and i wanted to have an option one of the grandkids is now gluten-free as well and also like you just more carbs are always welcome at thanksgiving i feel like so it was a nice combination and it had all of the same flavors it had mushrooms in there it had dried cranberries it had the sage and the i think tarragon so you know it it was a basic kind of pilaf but Uh, really nice and you throw in some wine while you're sauteing the mushrooms so it added a little more liquid so it was a really nice you know (laughs) conduit for the gravy is basically what (laughs) what stuffing is 
So we had a really nice time. One of my cousins brought a giant tray of gnocchi, which we had never done such a thing in all of, I don't know, I don't, at least not that I ever remember in the 50 years I've been having Thanksgiving with my family. It was delightful, I have to say. It was just, I mean, gnocchi is delicious. It was in a fabulous meat sauce. It's another carb. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, you know, you know how I like something that's a little different. It was related enough, but just enough different that it kind of perked up the whole thing. Because I love th- like I love Thanksgiving and all the foods. I'm all about all of the traditional foods. And yet, this was super fun. Gnocchi's having a moment. It is. I don't really know that. I'm just Well, no. Uh, yeah, it must be a, the zeitgeist thing. Like, once you see something, because you did your gnocchi curry, and then something came across my feed. Oh, gnocchi stuffing, which also sounds quite interesting. So Yeah. And then it shows up on my Thanksgiving table. How about you? First, I want to thank everyone who wrote in to me, to us, about the little interview that I did with Nathan. I got so many great comments from people that you loved hearing that personal voice. I think it was so fun to interview the boys. If you missed it, it was episode 127. And there is a little timestamp. I think it was at like 22 minutes in. He was very reluctant to listen to himself on the podcast. And it's only like a 10 minute clip. He is still very much on a cooking journey, obviously, because he's he's green. But it is so delightful to talk to him about this and then to have conversations about recipes that he's interested in and different techniques. And also, it's a good lesson for me to just back off and let him do his thing. So one of the first things that I made this week was some caramelized shallot gravy, which was not for Thanksgiving at all. It was because he browned off some ground bison for himself and was going to have it with rice and maybe peas. He didn't have his typical seasonings, which I have everything, but I have everything. Oh, so this was when he was home. Yeah. Uh I have everything, you know, I have onion powder, garlic powder, like everything is, what do you call it, separated. And his are more like spice blends. And so he was very perplexed how to boost the flavor profile of his very simple meal. And so I had a ton of shallots and I caramelized them and did almost like a a marsala gravy with it. It wasn't a heavy, it was super light that you could stir into the bison and kind of flavor it. He loved it. And that was a very weird thing for me to make just (laughs) off the cuff on a Thursday night for a hungry kid. But I think teaching him how to do little steps like that was also interesting and useful for him down the road. In other interesting recipe journeys, I made basically a chicken pot pie. I just wanted to do a simple crust on top of it. I had it in a baking dish and I just did a batch of pie crust and cut it to the top of the baking dish. And then I thought, oh, I'll just save the pie crust for the next day when we reheat it because everybody eats the pie crust first. So we did that and then I forgot about the 
extra pie crust and people gobbled up the chicken pot pie minus the pie. So I had extra pie dough in the fridge. Hold that thought. Then I made more of that great chicken curry recipe that has been a go-to. I did it with gnocchi a couple weeks ago, but this week I just did it straight up with potatoes. I did add some carrots and peas. We had that one night. And then the next day, people weren't as interested in the leftovers. And so I took the pie crust and turned them into the curry chicken hand pie. I gotta say, this was brilliant because then everybody ate the leftovers. It was delicious. The only, if this can be said, only flaw was that the pie crust was perfect. So it wasn't the strongest for making a hand pie. Remember, I I like that empanada dough that has a little bit of cream cheese in it, which makes the whole thing a lot stronger for like rolling out and holding the ingredients. These did beautifully like crackled open a little bit and they were so flaky and great and wow. That is something I will definitely make again. Super successful. What do we call this? Like a riff on a recipe, ad hoc. I mean, chicken curry, hand pie. Yeah. So fun. Then I had an emergency call from the East Coast asking about a cocktail that I made in 2020. I went all through the recipe drawer, couldn't find it anywhere. And lo and behold, I had talked about it on the podcast. Perfect. I had even illustrated the entire recipe. It was something that we had made up when my friend Kelly was out here. The base of it calls for a curacao and gin and the cara cara oranges. We had made like a simple syrup with ginger to bring it all together. And I think we were nicknaming it the Franciscan. I couldn't find the recipe anywhere until I turned to our show notes. And the whole thing was right there in our show notes. Because I had taken five seconds to document it. So Thank you, Paz Courtney. Exactly. My words exactly. And lastly, green beans. If you've been watching my gouache vember illustrations, the day before Thanksgiving illustration was vegetable. My husband took the grocery list and went to Costco and green beans were at the top of the list. He brought home 10 pounds of green beans for 20 people, which is a lot of green beans. I just want to memorialize the 10 pound green bean Thanksgiving. I made six of the 10 pounds for 20 people and we came home with three pounds left over. My green beans are awesome. I do them with caramelized shallots and dill and a little flaky sea salt. Really delicious, well-cooked, but people are not going hard for green beans on Thanksgiving because there's 11 other choices, 11 other delicious stuffing, mashed potatoes, gravy, turkey, salads, and it's not... Green beans is not at the top of anyone's Thanksgiving list. Let's you want a little bit for that contrast. <laughs> right. But you don't they're, need a half a pound. They're obligatory. Yeah. So now, now that I have four pounds of raw green beans and three pounds of leftover cooked green beans, I guess I better think of some green bean recipes. 
I mean, I feel like you need to blanch and freeze. Yes. This is the in this moment I wish I had a really great dehydrator because I love mm. those green beans from Trader Joe's that are dehydrated and crispy. Yeah. But again, I or mean curry, green bean curry. Right. I feel is the way to go here. This is not a crisis and my husband's no. rationale was really sweet. He was like, "You're part Italian and you always complain that we don't have enough." And I figured I'll just grab an extra. And then I figured and I'll grab an extra more. <laughs> so, thanks Adam. <laughs> I'm learning that people like the family stories maybe more than my own, so that's why I'm sharing that. <laughs> oh, that was delightful. On the nightstand, so first of all, Goodreads Best of 2023 voting is open. I, they might still be doing the first round, but maybe this maybe we've moved on to the second round by the time this comes out. Either way, there's still time to vote. I always find it interesting just to see how many books I've read in any given category, and will sometimes vote for books that are on my list that I haven't actually read yet because <laughs> I haven't maybe read any of them. Always, always interesting. I think fantasy, I had the most books that I had actually read in terms of categories. And they have a new category this year, romanticy, which is not a new genre, but I guess it's gotten big enough that they decided to make it a thing. So it's a romance fantasy combo platter. Think Twilight, Court of Thorn and, Thorn and Roses by Sarah J. Moss, which has a huge following, and uh, a book that I will be talking about in a few minutes. So hold that thought. Okay. How, how many books do you have for us today, Monica? <laughs> it's been three weeks. So I have 15 books. Okay, take it away. So I'm going to go through all of these books. The first 10 or so, there's a lot of series and genre stuff. I'm going to try and keep those pretty short and quick. There's always timestamps of when all of our segments start. I will put a second timestamp at when my my more detailed reviews start. So if you want to skip ahead, check your timestamps, skip ahead. Otherwise, settle in. All right. As you might expect, first up, Tea is for Trespass by Sue Grafton, which I listened to. Yes. Tea. I, tea. I know. It's kind of giving me heart palpitations. I'm getting so close to the end. Sue went really dark on this one, which I did not realize. And, whew, and we start off with insurance fraud and we go straight through to elder abuse and child abuse. Oh, boy. Yeah. She brings in the voice of the killer, which I never love. That is not a thing I am a fan of. So this was not my most favorite of her books. It was also a little confusing. Both of, She has two separate cases she's working, and they do eventually cross, but they're never really related, which is a little... It was a little confusing, but it had, you know, nice relationships with her, her core group of people. So I do like that one. Um, and I've got, uh, I don't know, whatever the next letter is in the alphabet <laughs> queued up and waiting for me. But then I have a new mystery series from Japan. This one is called Malice by Kego Higashino, translated by Alexander O. Smith. I also listened to this. I really enjoyed this one. There is a famous author, uh, like he's award-winning, bestseller. He's about to move to Canada from Tokyo with his wife. But the night before they're supposed to leave, he is found murdered in a locked room in his locked house. So, you know, it sounds like it's going to be set up to be a classic locked room mystery, except that the police, our detective, Inspector Kaga, figures out who done it an eighth of the way through the book. 
So the whole thing is not a who done it so much as a why done it. I think in Japan, you really have to have a motive to get someone convicted, which it's, that's more of a nice to have here, I think. But I, from some other books I've read, I think it's more of a need to have. So the, it becomes this cat and mouse between the killer and the police as to why he did it. Lots of twists and turns. Really fun. Uh, I enjoyed this. I've got the next one queued up as well. Then two books from the same author, Waking Gods and Almost Human by Sylvain Nouvelle. Listen to both of them. These are books two and three in the Themis Files. I read the first one, I think the last episode. It's the one where we find a bunch of giant robot alien body parts. And we put it together and we make an alien robot in the first one. And that's the first one. So then the second one, the aliens are kind of mad and they come back. And we have a war with the aliens. And then in the third one, our core group of people go to the alien planet and come back and Earth has changed and everything gets resolved. I really liked the first one. The second two were, eh. The second one felt like a middle book. Like your kind of things were going on and you're waiting to find out what would happen in the finale. The third one gets a little preachy about world peace, which sounds awful, but you can do it in a good way and a way that's just kind of annoying. And that was kind of annoying. They made some changes with the the voice actors. They do have a full cast, which I loved. For an audiobook, having all the different voices is super cool. They made some changes that I found strange for the third one and very distracting. So maybe reading it might be the way to go for this, depending on how you feel about annoying audio voices. It was an interesting theory, an interesting story. The ending didn't maybe land entirely for me, but overall pretty good. What I did really like was Last Devil to Die by Richard Osman, the fourth in the Thursday Murder Club books. It's our same four group of 80-somethings who are living in a retirement community and keep solving murders. But they've added on some friends. They've added on a new person to their group. They're becoming better friends with the police officers. And so it's the same lovely blend of murder and friendship. Who doesn't want that? (laughs) So delightful. Then I read The Death of Ivan Illich by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Richard Pevier and Larissa Volkonsky. That's a great translating team. I recommend that team for... They've done a bunch of modern Russian translations. Their translation of Anna Karenina is my favorite. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Which makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. So we read this for book club, and it was led by one of our, the teachers at my kid's high school, and he recommended this translation. And he is teaching this book in one of his classes this semester. So that was why we picked it. It's also about 55 pages long. So it's not even really a book. So everyone could get through it because War and Peace is not going to happen in a, you know, every month book club. Yeah. So this was really interesting. And it was super, super helpful to have him there to give us some background on Tolstoy. We could definitely have gotten plenty out of the book. We've done it without background information on books for many years. But it was nice to kind of put Tolstoy in Russian literature, like where he falls in that... Con- the context. Con- of yeah. It, yeah. And Russian history as well, a little bit. Did I love it as a story? Meh. It was interesting, but it was it was a great conversation. We had a huge group, because I think people were really excited to to be... It's for, all, it's for all the people who wanted to be back in English class, which was pretty funny. I enjoyed it, yeah. And he said, this was a great translation team. 
So he recommended that one. Under the Smoke-Strewn Sky by A. Deborah Baker, which is a pen name for Shannon McGuire. This is the fourth and final book in her Up and Under series. She wrote, oh, I forget what the other book is called. She wrote a book. And in this book, the characters read this series of children's books. And so now she has written the series of children's books. They're not actually children's books, so do not give these to your kids. Uh, I mean, older kids. Two children, human children from the world, total opposites, go over the garden wall, end up in the weird, funky land, have to get themselves back home. So this is the final one. Everything comes together, is revealed. She has a really beautiful part at the beginning about reading a book for the first time and how time only moves forward. And even if you come back to this book, you're never going to read it the same way. And she's kind of giving us a, a reminder of all the things that have happened. And it's just a really cool introduction. I love her writing so much. And she wrapped it all up very nicely. It's a great little series. And they're pretty short. So that was that was another another winner in my world. And then Little Thieves by Margaret Owen, which I think the Schwab recommended when I went to, to see her at the book signing. So this is fantasy. Vanya is the 13th child of a 13th child. So her mother decides she is unlucky and takes her into the woods to abandon her. She is adopted by death and fortune, who when she turns 13, tells her that even though they've been treating her as their daughter, she now has to choose who she will serve. Vanya says, not so much takes off, gets a job in the castle. It's not a great life being a servant in the castle. So when the princess is sent off to get married and takes Vanya with her, Vanya takes the magic pearls that make the princess all beautiful and princessy and puts them on herself and takes the princess's place. And now while she's a princess, she's also being a thief, stealing from the rich so that she will have enough money to flee the kingdom and live life on her own terms. Obviously things go sideways. The police are coming for her. There's a whole lot of things that happen. The prince that the princess is supposed to marry is evil and they have to take him down. It was a little slow to get into, but then it was, you know, a super fun adventure, relationships between rich and poor. Vanya feels like like everyone thinks she's just supposed to give up and let people beat on her. And she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. So if I have to turn to a life of crime, that's what's going to happen. So I ended up really enjoying this. And apparently, it is actually part of a series, which I did not realize even when I finished the book. So I think that's good. So you could read it as a one-off, but I am, I am going to check out the second one now that I know it's out there. The second one just came out this year. Then The Keeper Six by Kate Elliott. Esther gets a call from her son. She can hardly hear him. He says something like, Mom, I need help. Ruin. So she puts the phone down, rushes off to his house. His family is asleep. Son is gone. She finds a clue. He has been kidnapped by a dragon lord. So she has to get her mercenary group back together to rescue him because he is one of the group. But her group has been banished from the beyond for 10 years, and they're only a year into their sentence. So it's kind of a big deal that they are all going into the beyond to rescue the sun. So it's a super cool adventure book. It sort of feels like space, but it's really not space. The beyond is where you move to get to the different worlds. So it's a multiverse kind of situation with dragons being in charge of most everything. There's some, you know, friendship and all those nice 
nice fantasy group things. And Esther's a grandma, and she's kicking butt. So it was pretty fun. Seems like it could be part of series. I don't know that it is, but I really enjoyed that one as well. All right. Starter Villain by John Scalzi. I love this book so much. I, I love his books. They're super fun, especially this one. Charlie's life is not going so well. He lost his job as a newspaper reporter. His wife left him. He nursed his dad through cancer, and then his dad passed away. And now his half-siblings are trying to get him to sell the family home, but then Charlie won't have any place to live. Now he sees on the news that his maternal uncle has died. He hasn't seen this guy since he was five at his mother's funeral. But it turns out he has left his entire fortune to Charlie. And not just his fortune, his business, which is not just the parking garage empire that Charlie thought. He is actually an evil supervillain, complete with Volcano Lair and Research Lab. (laughs) Right? Hilarious. Also, talking spy cats and snarky dolphins that are trying to start a union. Charlie has to save the world kind of thing. It's hilarious. I loved it. It's just, it's just, it was just a delight. Yeah, the cats, the dolphins were, both the cats and the dolphins were awesome. Okay, more serious books. Literature, if you will. Evil Eye by Itaf Rum. Hmm. Uh, This one felt kind of important to be reading. Uh, It is, focuses on a, Yara is American, but her parents are from Palestine. She grows up in New York and feels hopeful that she has escaped the very conservative world she was raised in uh, when she gets married and moves down to South Carolina with, or North Carolina with her husband. She gets several degrees and is now, has a wonderful husband, two great kids, and is teaching art history at the local college. However, her world is not social media awesomeness that everyone thinks it is. And when a co-worker makes a racist comment, she kind of blows up at her. The bosses say you need to go to therapy and you can't be in teaching any classes until you get your temper under control. And it kind of starts a, a bit of a spiral for her in terms of people thinking her life should be fine. She's got a job, she's got a family, and yet it's not. And so we go back and forth between her, what's happening in her current life and memories of her childhood, relationship with her mother. Her mother thinks it's all just a curse that has been placed on the family and the women in the family specifically. And Yara just really has no way of dealing with all the emotions and the memories. And so the story, we go through her learning to deal with her past and her present. It was a hard book to read. She's, she's got a lot of internal stuff going on that she's not prepared to deal with. And that's hard to read about. She's very American. She's also very Palestinian. And she kind of took a lot of both cultures and mushed them up and just had the worst possible outcome for herself in a lot of ways. It was good to read, but hard to read. August Blue by Deborah Levy. Elsa is a world famous pianist, but about a year ago, she had a breakdown on stage in Vienna while playing and she ran off the stage and she has not gone back to performing yet. She has started flying to various locations and teaching teenage pianists for a couple of lessons. And while she's in Greece doing this, she sees a woman at a market who looks just like her. And so she starts to have this weird relationship. She keeps seeing the woman. She keeps thinking about her. She's imagining conversations in her head. She's traveling 
to various locations. There's a relationship with her mentor. So it's a lot of family relationships, friend relationships. Elsa trying to figure out what is going on with her life. Why, you know, what happened in Vienna? Why did she stop playing? Deborah Levy has been shortlisted for the Booker twice. Not, uh, not for this one, uh, but for a couple of her other books. So it was a, it was a cool book. A little bit sort of dreamlike, slightly, not exactly magical realism, but she's definitely having this odd relationship with this woman. And it's, it is during, it's right after lockdown. So there's still a lot of COVID restrictions, you know, which not everyone I assume is, is ready to read. So there is that warning about it. But I really, I like, it was, it was interesting and different. The musical part of it was pretty cool. She's friends with a lot of musicians. So they're talking about certain pieces and how to interpret them and what they're thinking about. It was really interesting. I liked it a lot. I might have to check out some of her backlist as well. Uh, then Beyond the Door of No Return by David Diop, or David Diop, uh, translated by Sam Taylor from the French. He won the International Booker for his previous book, which I still haven't read, but has been on my list. This is the story of Michel Adanson, Michael Adanson, who is a botanist in 19th century France and travels to Senegal as a young man to research plants and nature and has uh, I mean I'm just gonna say adventures because I can't think of a better word right now but more has relationships and things happen to him and so it's it's nested stories it starts off with him on his deathbed and then his daughter is feeling the after effects and finds uh, his journal that he wrote while in Senegal so then we read his journal and then we you know, circle back out it's an intense book but beautiful and not easy to read, but not as hard as I thought it was going to be. It definitely deals with slavery and, you know, colonialism in Senegal, but also really beautiful, really well written. I definitely need to go back and read his other works. I highly recommend this one. Alice at the Fire by John Fossey just won the Nobel Prize for Literature. My kid got this for me for my birthday. It was translated by Damien Searles from Norwegian, which means I got my Norway book in. <laughs> was very excited. I do still want to read Kristen Laverne's Daughter, but this one was only like 100 pages, so yeah. <laughs> that was a little easier to get through. This was a weird one. I think he's also a playwright, and that kind of comes across. Did you read this? No. Yes. Okay. So it starts off with, and I'm going to butcher these names, Signa is at her family home, or it was her husband's family home. He disappeared about 25 years ago, went out rowing during a storm on the fjord, and disappeared. And so she's looking out the window and remembering that. And then you kind of you jump into her memories of that day, but then his memories of that day. And then you go back to his great grandmother and one of her memories of a day when something happened. And you go through his whole family and it goes in and out of memories. And there's very little punctuation. There's a couple of question marks, no periods, except in one part. And I haven't quite figured out why. It is a trip, but it's a short trip. So I finished it and the ending, I'm still not sure about what happened. My husband read it. We still need to have a discussion about what just went on, but really cool. I don't know. I enjoyed it. I do like a funky structure. That's kind of one of my things. So I don't know. It was, it was an interesting little, uh, little. I did thumb through that at the library. Yeah. 
recall vividly oh i don't have the bandwidth for no punctuation right this minute yeah and we'll i'll definitely circle back around to it but sometimes that's difficult you have to be mm-hmm. in, the, in the right yeah i was i read it on the airplane um oh yeah so captive we, audience that yeah. helps so it was like focused and it and it it flows i mean it definitely flows and you're going in and out of people's memories and visions and they're all kind of connected more than just being family and all in the same house but yeah it's a little it's a little it's a little trippy so but i thought it was really interesting and then finally we're here at the romanticy fourth wing by rebecca yaros so okay this one i had seen in bookstores it never quite came across like my social media feeds for some reason and I kept thinking, oh, maybe I want to read it. But then it's kind of a chunky book. I didn't. Book two is now coming out. My social media really decided I needed to read this. So I finally said, okay. Oh, I talked to a friend who had read it. And I was like, all right, I need to read it. And I also thought it was like a, a debut author. No, this is her 16th book. So this is her thing. So now I am deep in the social media, like the memes and, and everything. And apparently Michael B. Jordan's production company has put this book up to make it a TV series. So that'll be awesome okay so fourth wing we've got dragons we've got military school violet is has been trained to be a scribe though for her whole life her dad was a scribe that's what she's been learning to be her dad passes away and her mother who is a general in the army says oh no you're not going to be a scribe you must go to dragon rider school like your two older siblings no child of mine will be a scribe so Violet gets like six months of training. Most people trade, train for their whole life to, to go to this, this academy. She survives the entrance exam. Hooray. And runs into Dane, who is her childhood friend. His dad was her mom's aide, so they've grown up together. So good to see him. He's a second year student. Gets her in, uh, put in his squad to kind of watch out for her. Because there's a lot of people who want to kill her at the school. And apparently that's a thing that's okay to do because you don't want weaklings riding the dragons. One of the people who wants to kill her is Zayden. His dad led a rebellion a few years ago. Violet's mom was in charge of putting it down and executing all the leaders. All the kids of the rebel- rebellious people are now have to go to dragon school to either prove their loyalty or die, basically. Which <laughs> the powers that be are kind of like, either one's fine. Zayden has become an amazing dragon rider. He's one of the wing leaders of the fourth wing. That's the title. He's hot. He's broody. Perfect. Violet is desperately attracted to him, except that she thinks he wants to kill her. So it's complicated. There's shenanigans. There were really no surprises, even though there were supposed to be surprises. Okay, this, the cliffhanger was a little surprising but not it's it's a very genre ebook but super fun everything that you think is going to happen i mean you can you guys can probably figure out most of what is going to happen from what i've said obviously violet is amazing it was a lot of fun i have the second book on hold from the library so i'm waiting for that to show up apparently from what i can tell there's an even more dramatic cliffhanger this is not just a trilogy there are going to be five books so i'm in for the long haul here people i gotta tell you Um, I will say I wanted to talk about representation in this book a little bit. Race, yeah, we have like a dark skinned best friend. And that's about it that I can tell. Gender is pretty much on a binary here. 
Although they don't care who you sleep with. And since they're military college age kids, there's a lot of sleeping around going on. They don't care who you sleep with. So that was that was good. But Violet does have some physical and medical issues. And she gets some accommodations. So that was pretty cool. Like, it's very subtle, I would say. But I thought that was nice to have a that kind of representation in what is otherwise a pretty cishet white book. I do like a little bit more of interest. I mean, if you've got dragons, like, why are the people all just the same? That's all my books. <laughs> I don't know how long I talked. Thank you guys for listening. Well, that's why we timestamp. Okay, I have four. <laughs> well, first of all, <laughs> first of all, I want to give a giant congratulations to my husband who finished Moby Dick. Woohoo! This is really important. He wants a gold star or something. So I will, you know, figure that out. I was going to do a whole meal, but I can't think of anything remotely tasty to celebrate Moby Dick. And I am not, I am not into whale anything. Caviar? Ooh, maybe. (laughs) My first book for you is A Murder Mystery by the one of the co-hosts of Crime Junkie. Her name is Ashley Flowers, and the book is called All Good People Here. And this is a work of fiction. The Crime Junkie podcast is sort of a guilty pleasure for me. She recaps old cases, like real crime cases in the U.S., but that's pretty brutal. <laughs> it's pretty brutal listening. The book is not a far cry from Pretty Brutal. It uh, takes place in the Midwest, and we are, our narrator is a small town journalist, and when she was growing up, she was best friends with a girl whose twin brother, she and the twin brother lived right across the street. Our narrator loses her parents and is living with her aunt and uncle. The twin girl, her best friend, is is killed when they're really little and it i can't remember if it went unsolved or not i think they thought the the mother took the blame for the death and then fast forward 20 years and now the town has had a similar little girl go missing our narrator the journalist has come back home to be with her uncle who is suffering from dementia and she's going to take care of him, but she's also going to write about this murder. And in order to do that, she thinks that she'll talk to the parent, the surviving parent of her best friend and figure out like what really happened then. And she unearths all of this trauma for everyone. As you do. As you do. And tries to solve the case. And she really believes they're connected. And so it is a very front and center murder mystery. I think that going back and forth in time is a find finely done. The structure is great. I think that you need to like buckle your seat for the ending. I'll leave it there. Insofar as one can enjoy a murder mystery, I enjoyed it. Captured my attention. Then I read happy place by emily henry people had been recommending this monica included had been recommending this for a long time like all summer it was a big it was a big popular read and i 
was resistant, but it finally came through my library queue. I was hooked from the very beginning. Um, Have you read any Emily Henry? No, I hadn't. This is my first of her novels. I think her writing is really great. I appreciate that always. This is the story of a couple who belongs to a larger, a, a slightly larger group of six friends, and they are trying to hide their their dissolution from the four other friends on a week on coastal Maine. It does dip into San Francisco a little bit and in Montana. And I think the writing was great. The friendship was really well illustrated. The couple's challenges were communication. It all came down to communication. And it wasn't so annoying that you just wanted to be like, why aren't you guys talking to each other? I think the author was really graceful with how the miscommunication happened. I'm not trying to simplify it by saying that that was their problem. I think it could happen to anyone. And so I thought that this was just a great portrait of a relationship and friendships too. I enjoyed it. And I I don't know that I'll look at her other stuff. If it's similar, then perhaps it's pretty I will. Similar, yeah, yeah, that was, it was a very satisfying read. And then I have The Museum of Failures by Thridi Umragar. This is a really interesting book. It is a female author, male perspective. He's like a 30-something guy who went to college in America and married an American wife. His name is Remy. Her name is Kathy. And they he's gone back to Bombay because they can't have children and they want to adopt a child and his wife stays in America because she is important doctor and she has a lot to do. And he's gone back to pick up this acquaintance's or relative's child to adopt. It's so interesting to have the male perspective on adoption. And Kathy is only, she, we only get her through phone calls. She's so removed and it, everything about his immersion back into his Bombay life and with his friends and his mother who's failing and it unspools this whole family story and I think it is so it's such a beautiful tapestry of his life and how very separate it is from America and it's almost better that Kathy doesn't come with him to India and it's very complex and real and moving. It was an excellent book. And I think without giving important details away, it's also a book about secrets and culture and a boy's role and thoughts on adoption and surrogacy and giving giving a child up. There's a lot of parental, familial, both father and mother sides of it that are so well done. It might not be for everyone because there is, you know, adoption and some challenges about a special needs children. There, There is a lot of trauma tucked within this book. So that's important to know. And then lastly, I got my hands on the latest A.J. Pierce book. A.J. Pierce is the author who was my very first foyer into audiobooks. She wrote Dear Mrs. Bird, and it was 
the first audiobook that really hooked me and got me listening. This is the third book in her Emmy Lake series. And this is called Mrs. Porter Calling. And it is about uh, 1943. We're still at war. Emmy, our main character, is best friends with Bunty. And they are maybe mid to late 20s now. And they are still, you know, keep calm, carrying on. Emmy works for Women's Friend, which is a newspaper. She does the advice column where all of the readers write in with their problems and she types up responses and personalizes everything. And it's this amazing family structure with the newspaper that's going on during wartime. And we're all doing our best for the war effort. Her husband is uh, still fighting is uh, in active duty. We only get him in little snippets of letters. He doesn't come home for leave at all during this whole book. And their home structure, they live in uh, London and they live in a house that is like a amalgam of different characters. And it's not all happy-go-lucky, obviously, because we're still in war times, but I think that it's a sweet war novel. It is just like really heartwarming and and I love this author. I have a huge soft spot for her and these books bring me joy. So that's Mrs. Porter Calling by A.J. Pierce. Nice. Okay, all wrapped up. This is our little gifty segment for all your gift giving needs for your crafters and cooks and readers. It's not cookers. <laughs> it's a totally different thing. I find that amusing. So for the needles, for your knitters out there, first one, it's hard to buy yarn for people, but sometimes a kit is nice. And one thing that has become fairly popular in the past few years is a weather scarf or blanket or whatever. So you document the weather of the day for a whole year, wherever you are you assign a color to the a range of temperatures and then every day you knit whatever a row or two whatever you decide to do uh, based on what that temperature is and so you end up with a record of your year and I've seen this done for sports teams lots of things you can do but the weather one has become popular and there are kits out there and one that I found that I really like is from the yarnery and they have a couple different sets so one is like a bright rainbow i think they have a grayscale one they have sort of a muted rainbow there's a couple different options and i keep i keep thinking about doing one for myself because i just i don't know i think it would be kind of fun be hard you've got to figure out your range in san francisco we have such a small range that i would i feel like i'd have to do in between like 60 and 70 just have a a lot of (laughs) colors in there and then beyond that we don't we don't get a lot of weather here i was thinking you could do something like throw some mohair in for when we have fog yeah (laughs) i mean which would be a lot of mohair but anyway so that that i think would be fun and it's something anybody could do and and you know there's different different color options for what kind of colorway you think they would like so i think that would be fun katrinkles always has good little gadgets and knitting accessories and this year i wanted to highlight her suede tags that you can sew into your projects and she has ones that are for handmade items that say like I made this or handmade 
you can do if you're gifting them. And then she also has a series that I have, uh, and these I have bought for myself and I'm using, and it says, this is the back. Because when you're doing a handmade sweater, it often is hard to tell without every time you unfold it and want to wear it, you have to like figure out where you started because usually you start knitting at the back. So like, where did I, <laughs> where did I weave in all the yarn? But then maybe not. So putting in a little tag is very helpful and they are washable. I'm still working out the best way to attach them to my sweater, uh, but they look very cute. And these particular ones have a sheep butt as on, on there as well. <laughs> so it's, it's very cute. And it could be a little stocking stuffer or a gift uh, for a knitter. And then I found on Uncommon Goods a knitting caddy yarn bowl. So I have some yarn bowls. They're really beautiful. You can put your ball of yarn in there and there's a little Hook. opening, yeah, that hooks you that you know, so the yarn can come out, but it stays hooked and you don't have it roll across the floor. And it provides a little tension too, doesn't it? Yes. So those are nice. There's plenty of those. They're works of art often. This one also has a lip around the bottom and around the back side of it, uh, opposite from where the, the opening is, to stick needles, uh, like additional needles or scissors, uh, just little little places to do some storage, as well as having your yarn so all of your supplies are right there in one place, which seemed super handy to me, because I know I always have things kind of... I try and keep organized, but it's always a mess, and... This feels like it would be kind of helpful. Um, and then finally, Bertie Parker has watch bands for your Apple Watch that are leather bands with a cable knit pattern on them. A friend of mine was on the lookout for these at the last stitches. <sighs> and I noticed that she is still wearing it all these months later. So if you have a, a knitter who has an Apple Watch come in different colors and sizes, I guess you do need to know... Which version? Which version of the watch they have? Because they, you know, have different widths of the band, but uh, they are pretty cool. They were really cute. Yeah, I remember those. I have one knitting gift idea. I saw a very fancy, very fancy brass counter for counting oh, your yeah, rows. Yeah, yeah. It is a whopping ninety nine dollars, and I was telling my husband about it, who works in. Um, the electrical industry and in his industry there's a lot of counting from drawings and he was like I can get you a counter for like 379 or something like that and sure enough (laughs) there are counters much cheaper than $99 so I'm gonna link are they as pretty they're not as pretty but some of them are pens which is like yeah very useful I can't think of another craft besides needle craft that requires such counting but i actually think this is a pretty cool gift idea even the brass one and then i I have a little handmade gift suggestion for each category for the needles section i was gonna suggest handmade tags for things because you can print fabric Mm -hmm. in a in a laser printer but i also thought stitch markers are really easy to make there's tons of tutorials for that. And if you're looking for handmade gift idea, that might be a good one for your knitter. On the easel? Yep. Okay. There is a gorgeous set of Karen Dash by color pencils. So there's two colors, you know, they're like split. One pencil, two colors. It comes in a little set of 10, I think, in a 
gold tin. I'm hoping that it's not limited edition, but I did forget to check. This two color pencil thing though is very useful for your artist person who might be traveling because you get twice as many colors in half the pencil. It's a good lightweight travel option. And if the Karen Dash one isn't available, I'll look around for one that will, might also fit the bill. Are they two different colors? Yeah. Oh, so it's not like a dark yellow and a light yellow. It's They are, but they're different enough so that you it's fun. Like you're getting. Yeah, okay. totally. I want to put in a plug for that Koh-i-Noor Klee Marble Pencil Set. They were those pencils that I got at the LACMA when we were down there in April or May. And it is such a delightful pencil set. I absolutely need oh, to use LA. Yeah. Okay. I absolutely need to use them more. And when I thought of a great gift set, that was at the top of my list. It's also a little bit more affordable to buy it from the LACMA museum shop than anywhere else that I saw online. To round out pencils, I always recommend uh, Black Wings. They come in a beautiful box. It's a great stocking stuffer. They're an awesome pencil. I ha just dropped one two seconds ago while we were sitting here. For sketchbooks, I will run through these super quick. I love the Leuchstrom 1917. That is my favorite go-to really nice sketchbook. My everyday sketchbook is a much more affordable one from Royal Talon's Art Creations, but not everybody likes those because it's a really creamy cover stock. So those first two are appropriate for a little bit of paint, but if you've got somebody who's just a sketcher, not just, but uses dry medium, then you could try the the Hannah Mule bamboo one, that's a, a lighter weight sketchbook. And then I saw that USPS does these super cute little sketchbooks oh. that have like a postage theme on the front cover. So there's like a whole series of those, which might be great if you are buying and you know somebody's interests. You know, they they have little themes on the cover. Oh. So I thought that was really fun. And then there are two paint sets. These are acrylic paint sets. And I was thinking that this might be great for like a preteen or a teenager who is looking to do some painting. There's a Blick branded acrylic. They have a portrait set and a landscape set. It's a really nice group of colors. And then a little bit nicer version of that is the Charvin acrylic sets, and they have a landscape, seascape, and a portrait set that I have purchased for myself because I love the color range in those. And then the, my other recommendation is a little bit more general. For an art person in your life, look at the museum stores, LACMA, SFMOMA, D. Young, MFA Boston, The Met in New York. All of those museum stores have beautifully curated, they have gift sets, they have great art books, they have sketchbooks, they have these pencil sets and interesting things like that. And there's a million art books there. If you know what your person is interested in, you'll find something easily. Is this my favorite topic ever? Okay, that's it. <laughs> Oh, the hand the handmade option. Oh, yeah. This is a crazy idea. But if somebody gathered up a bunch of paper, like 
larger paper and folded it in half and stapled it and told me that that was a sketchbook, I would be delighted. I would totally draw in a handmade sketchbook. It doesn't have to be fancy. I'm always looking for things to draw on, like all paper, any paper. So nice. there you have it. Even like brown paper bags. Fun. Yeah. You could have a whole like multiple. It could be, yeah, it could be a jumble of different types of paper and it doesn't all have to be the same size, but you could cut it down so that it was. Yeah. Like then just having the different kinds of paper is going to make your brain work in different ways. Absolutely. The different textures are really interesting for trying out different pencils and paint. And I love this idea and it might suit or not, but I thought it was a fun idea. All right. Cooking ideas. I'm going to recommend Snacking Bags by Yossi Arefi. I haven't actually seen it yet. I still need to go to the bookstore and buy it. I was hoping that someone would get it for me for my birthday, but it didn't happen, which is fine because I was going to buy it no matter what. So I, I, I imagine it's going to be great. I love snacking cakes. You could also do that one for a cook. They're just, they're fun. They're easy. They're delicious. And you will get to hear more about that book in the new year. I'm also thinking a Substack subscription for one of their favorite chefs. They're having Black Friday sales today, so I may have a few new paid-for subscriptions. But they're really good. I mean, they're 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 recipes, they're writing. I'm I'm really enjoying a lot of you know cook writers. Um, there's a lot of interesting people to read on there, and you know if they if there's someone they really like, they're usually not more money than you would spend on a regular sort of gift. Often, I mean, there's options like monthly and. You know, usually a discount if you subscribe for a whole year. So I think that would be fun because often, you know, I can't buy all of the ones I really want to read, but uh, it would be nice to have have a couple new ones to get the full full thing. I, I broke down and did Susan Spongen today. She's veg forward and many other things. And apparently her Christmas cookie bonanza is coming up that is for the the paid subscribers so now i'm i'm there we'll see how that goes and then something uh, one of the things i asked for and got for my birthday was a california shaped serving dish Fun. it's pretty specific pottery barn has them I, I don't know if it's for all the states but it's definitely for most of them i'm thinking maybe hawaii doesn't have one though although that would be adorable one for the like you could put out little appetizers olives and almonds and stuff that would be delightful anyway so that one is it's just plain white it's shaped like your state there are also if you look on etsy and i forget where the other one i found was with designs of the states with cute little artistic you know like a palm tree and a golden gate bridge and all those cute things and then like a baking dish that's sort of a 70s looking map in that you know that 70s yellow there's a lot of cute ones out there there's also trays that I have found that are historic maps and you can get them pretty specific. We have one for San Francisco, but I found them for the the East Bay counties for my parents and we did it as a housewarming gift for our niece. So there's lots of if your person likes to serve things (laughs) as I do, or you know, just on a making your Friday night feast more fun for your family. That was a lot of F's (laughs) more than I expected. I like having cute little serving dishes. I've seen them too in cutting boards and yeah. dish towels and yeah, yeah that that is a fun gift idea. Yeah, and it's probably something you're not going to buy for yourself. Exactly, that's the point of a gift. Good ideas. I want to talk about some spices. Diaspora and Co., which is an East Bay company, is in Whole Foods now. Ooh. They have new branding. They're doing the most fun pink and orange 
spice tins. This is an ethically sourced, really sustainable, great company for spices. So look for those. I also recommend either and or Big Sur Elote Salt. This is one of my favorite salt blends. A little bit goes a long way. We were gifted it last Christmas and I just finished the jar because we go easy. And for those who want to go hard, you can get a three pound beautiful bucket of Malden sea salt. Look at that thing. It's wow. beautiful. It, it is has a the of salt. It has the logo and it's this cute bucket that you can put in your pantry. I love it. I think I might need it. I also think that the bucket is a much better option for dispensing the salt. It's easier to jump in there and pinch out a little bit. But if you don't go that route, I do recommend like a little salt cellar or something for your yeah. for your gift giving. And then I've got a really useful kitchen idea. I came across this idea after Christmas last year. I had missed the gift episode and I put it in my planner so that I would not forget to tell people about it this year. It's called the Japanese Iron Fish and it is basically this cast iron fish. Simon just bought these. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You can get it in a leaf shape. It does not taste like fish. It's just this fish that you can put in your cooking pot and it acts as an iron supplement. So I have a friend who donates a lot of blood and she has been like borderline anemic. And so I sent her the Japanese ironfish. It's a beautiful gift idea. It has 5,000 uses. It's like infinitely useful for the cost of one month's worth of iron supplements. It can really make a huge improvement, like 40% improvement in your iron intake. And I just thought that that is such a cool heavy too stocking stuffer i don't know it charms me yeah they're not too big yeah so simon just bought one yeah that's so funny i think you could even put it in the tea kettle and infuse your hot beverage with yeah because it doesn't have any taste to it no and someone said you could throw it in your oatmeal and let it steep yeah yeah so i'll make sure that there's a couple of links for that i did buy i I bought one that was about $35. I've seen them in a variety of price ranges, but I I was gifting it, so I wanted a super cute one. Yeah. <laughs> I have a handmade. Nice. I love the idea of attempting a cocoa like a Remember when we were out shopping once and we saw drink mixes in a mason jar? Yes. Like all of the ingredients for that or like a cocoa blend or um a spice blend obviously preserved gifts those things are wonderful they take a little bit more time so things like that you know that would help your like the dry ingredients of of something i did a hot cocoa one for my share care group and the boys were little obviously because that's when you do share care and i think one of the families was so excited by it that they've made it their christmas tradition to yeah. make themselves the, the i also yeah. i also think little loaves of breakfast bread mm. are amazing during the holidays because everybody's so busy who has time to do a cute breakfast bread for yourself you know it's just such a nice little gift yeah that's that's my on the table section. and then next year we'll probably have lots of food basket ideas because cook's illustrated l simone scott are coming out with a food basket book in fun april 
right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Gifts, the, gifts from the kitchen or something. I think so, called. yeah. Yeah. So that looks beautiful. And I think we'll both be <laughs> checking that out next year. So for your readers, I feel like if they haven't read it yet, just give them Demon Copperhead. <laughs> I mean, have you heard anyone who didn't like it? Nope. I feel like it just needs to be read. So there's, that's my first idea. And then when I was on my travels, we, we were peeking into some bookstores and they had a section of Everyman's Pocket Classics. Hmm. which I hadn't seen before. They seem to be little book collect or story collections. So they had like Scottish stories, garden stories, New York stories, detective stories, so many. So it was a whole shelf full of them. Might even be more online. I don't know. It just like if someone had a is a reader and you know, there's a, a genre or or whatever something that they like. That seems like that could be kind of a fun little little gift for maybe someone that you don't know super well, but you know, they like reading and whatever. So that was my idea there. Another uncommon goods. They always have fun stuff. Literary women book locket necklace. So it's little necklace, little mini books. I think it's, you know, like there's some Jane Austen's probably Bronte. It opens up its little locket and it has a quote from the story. That could be kind of a fun choice for the right person. And then this one, I guess, could be an, an on-the-table recommendation as well. Uh, it is a cocktail book called Tequila Mockingbird Cocktails <laughs> with a Literary Twist. And actually, my good friend Kelly, who you all have met, got me this for my birthday a few years ago. And it's it's super adorable. It's, you know, kind of standard cocktails, but with they all have cute literary names like Tequila Mockingbird. Very, very useful for making of the cocktails and a little fun literary good times as well. That's excellent. Yeah. I saw a cocktail book that featured artwork of the cocktail, like paintings of the cocktail. Lovely. I forget the name of it. Hopefully I'll remember and we'll (laughs) add that too. I'm starting off with food. I always love an America's Test Kitchen annual. They do them every year. Super trustworthy cookbooks. You're not going to go wrong. It's going to be well illustrated, well instructed, with lots of tips and tricks, and the most popular kinds of recipes that people are eating this year. I think it's also really good for newlyweds or that kind of thing because it has the year in it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's yeah. it, it's kind of a timestamp of the 2023. I saw two other cookbooks that. I thought people might like The Simple Art of Rice. This is a single subject cookbook by um, Danica Norvgadoff and Joseph Johnson. I love rice. It is chock full of different rice recipes. There's rice versions from every cuisine. Then there's rice salads and rice soups, side dishes, entrees. It's a huge staple in our house as... You've heard Nathan discuss the versatility. It would be cool to give it with a little selection of rices. And I think that that's a a great gift idea. There was also one called Here We Go Again by Tiffany Thiessen, which is all about leftovers and very smartly done for like how to put your leftovers front and center. I like it because it really confronts the sustainability. We waste a lot of food in our culture and how to just bring those, bring a leftover back to life and use it up and not forget about it. There's a lot of good technique in there too. And then for my fiction people, 
Alice Hoffman has a new book out called The Invisible Hour. I haven't read it yet. I'm hoping to. I hope it's... I, I think Alice Hoffman is... She's a favorite, so I don't think you can go wrong there. Amy Tan has a new book out. It's not fiction. Sorry. I lumped it into the fiction category, but it's called The Backyard Bird Chronicles, and it's drawings and essays about backyard birding. I think she started it during COVID, but I've heard a lot of good things about this, and I'm hoping that other bird lovers will find their way to it. It's a great gift idea. And then I just heard that Michael Cunningham has a new book out. He wrote The Hours way back in 19... It's been like 10 years, I think. More than that, I think. 90s? Um, It's called Day. His writing is really beautiful, and I think that that that's something that's on my list, and I have been hearing good things about it, and so I'll put it out there for people. My handmade suggestion for this is really simple. Make your people, your book lovers, your readers in your life, a bookmark. And Mm -hmm. it could be a great quote. It could be... It could be bacon. It could be bacon. It could be a drawing or collaged, and you could laminate it or not. You could just laminate it with packing tape, you know, because it's narrow enough to cover the swath of it. I know that I get scolded for dog-earing a page, that might be a fun gift idea. Very simple. Your kids could make them if you have kids. I would love abstract ones made out of magic marker and kind of cut up into bookmark shape. And I'm just putting it out there. As a book lover, I would use them in my gigantic stack of nightstand books. Yeah, no, you made me the, the bacon bookmark years ago now. <laughs> I mean, podcast years, but yeah. Know, but that's I still love that one. It's amazing. Bacon. All right. Thank you for joining us and sticking with us on this chunky, chunky episode. (laughs) Until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.